Hello, friend. Welcome to episode 23 of Sally's Performing Arts Lab podcast. Every day I gotta stop for a minute Think about how good my life is with you in it Every day I wanna stop and think about you I'm your host, Sally Adams. Every Monday evening, I talk to people about making original work for a live audience. Leave comments, give me a review, or send an email to sally at sallypal.com. Your ideas keep great conversations coming every Monday evening. Thanks so much for sharing the podcast and the blog. Don't forget about the freebies. On sallypal.com slash join. You can still get your 20-page free theater resource. It's a glossary of live performance support you need for your show. It's useful, entertaining, and you have my permission to copy pages and trade with your friends. Today's episode features play director, performer, and playwright Julie Tattershall. Julie is a forever friend with a long resume. She was the 2012 Mary Kay Place Legacy Award recipient through the Tulsa Awards for Theater Excellence. Tulsans call it Tate. Over the years, Julie has won two Tate Awards and two Oklahoma Community Theater Association Awards as a director. Julie worked with theater companies in Chicago before settling down in Tulsa, Oklahoma. In Tulsa, Julie became the artistic director of Clark and Heller Theaters, logging nearly 30 years of nonstop directing. In addition to directing over 100 productions, Julie founded the long-running Laughing Matter Improvisation Group. With her husband, Tony Batchelder, she co-founded the Tulsa Area Community Theater Alliance. Julie has toured nationally with Where the Red Fern Grows. She also participated in the Oklahoma Artist-in-Residence program and still works as an artist in the schools, performing original works that resonate with a message of acceptance and healing. Julie has a master's degree in psychology and uses that knowledge as a director, playwright, and performer. Julie and I met while she visited me and George in our new home on the Potomac River in Virginia. Be sure to listen until the end of the interview for concise advice from the interview and words of wisdom from George. Let's get started. Welcome, Julie Tattershall, to Sally Pal. Well, thank you, Sally. I know. Isn't it fun? We're here <laughs> together on the mic. Near the beach. I know. We are near the beach. It's so fabulous. You can look out this window and see a gorgeous, gorgeous, beautiful river that could be the ocean. It's so far out it there. Is a, it's seven miles wide at the widest point. It's beautiful. Yeah, I love it. And it's a little bit of a rainy day, so I talked Julie into doing an interview with me against her better judgment. Yeah, we'll see how that goes. <laughs> I did do some improv with you in the earliest days, and I thought, this gal is on fire. She's on the ball. And then I stole your ideas, and I did them in my school. Awesome. I know. It was great. (laughs) (laughs) And I started Please steal more. Because I think we all think we're coming up with these brilliant, new, fresh ideas, and then you find out, oh, man, somebody's already done that. Yeah, but nobody's ever done it like you. Whatever idea you have, it's coming through to you in a very different and specific manner than how it came through someone else. Just like when anyone plays a character, you are bringing you to the table. So it'll be unique and special and amazing because you are there. I love that. You just have a way of making people feel like they have something to contribute. They do. Yeah. We all do. Or we wouldn't be here. 
That's a really nice life motto. You have something to contribute or you wouldn't be here. That's correct. Cool. So you have a background in therapy or in uh, counseling. Is that right? Well, my master's is in human relations. The emphasis is psychology. And I've always used that in directing. To me, directing is therapy. It's not that theater is therapy. It's more that people come to the table hurt. And they come to a specific project because they need to be in that project. I really think theater transcends our normal life. And we come there to work out specific things that we need to work out and realize about ourselves. Do you think a person could come to a part two different times and come away with two different yes. lessons? And you can direct two different productions. There's only a few productions I've directed twice. Um, one was The Chosen, I directed twice, which was interesting. I had Tom Berenson and Ron Freeberg in both of those productions, and both times it was a completely different feel. Uh, we transcended so many other layers to start like 20 steps ahead when we did the second production. So we got to go deeper into that play and the human connection and son and father issues that were always there. Yeah. And also they're coming at it like 15 years later. Right. So they're older as men outside of the theater. Yeah. And I saw that production, the second one. I don't think I saw the first one, but the second one was such high quality. Oh, thank it, you. It was, it was transcendent. And I thought Tom Berenson's performance, well, both of them, both men were fantastic. And they're very close friends. Mm -hmm. um, but Tom Berenson played the rabbi. It's a story of fathers and sons. And one son, the son of the rabbi, becomes friends with the other boy's father. Right. And vice versa, I think. Mm -hmm. I think theater, we come to it to know more of ourselves in a deeper way and share that with the audience. I've been very fortunate because I have a very close-knit family who loves that I do theater. I've sort of dragged them along into my theater life because it is different. When I work in the theater with those people, it's like you doing The Chosen a second time. There is a shorthand that I don't necessarily have with people outside the arts. We understand that we're going to experiment some. We understand that some of this process is going to be a little messy. Well, I think of theater as a science lab for human behavior. It's a place to experiment. Right. And to decide, are these choices working for us? Or if I had made this choice, look where my life would have been. Mm -hmm. It's like you get to experiment connection and human behavior and what makes us tick, I guess. Flushed out characters are the ones that have human depth, pain, hope, love, and at the end of our lives, we hope to have some sort of resolution to look back go, huh. <laughs> <laughs> when people audition for you, let's just start with my directing philosophy or techniques over the years. You know, I stopped updating my resume somewhere around 2005 or 8. <laughs> I didn't have time. I was doing too much theater, so I didn't have time to update my resume. <laughs> I heard that I'm what's called an organic director. When I approach a script, I do not watch another production or see how that was done or watch some television production. You know, I go to the script like it's an original. I don't care what I'm directing. I look at that and then I see who shows up. And then I look for emotional truth. Do I have a hint of emotional truth out there of what I'm looking for? Because I don't care what the actor looks like. Mm -hmm. 
because I'm not looking for the physical type, I'm looking for emotional truth. So then when that happens at the audition, aha, the decision is made. Then I watch where these, it's like the creative flow. Creative flow comes through you. You don't create it. So when you're directing, you can see the energy, you can see the emotional truth, you can see the connection, and you can see when they're not connecting. And then it's like, what fear is in their way? What is in their life that they're not connecting with? So it's always like trying to break apart, not the person, never the person. What you're trying to do is get a crack in there and find out where does this person need to heal? And usually they show up to that project because something spoke to them. And they're there, not just to perform and be ego-driven, and that's lovely, that's a lot of the side product. But as a director, to me, it's the world of healing. That's why theater is so, so powerful. Because not only are you healing yourselves through this process, you're also healing the audience. Because if there's emotional truth out there, it loops to the audience, and then it loops back to the actors. And, and I've talked about that before. As the, uh, I stole, I think, from Stephen Sondheim, the idea of the audience as the final collaborator, because they bring their own stuff to the theater. It's an energy loop. Absolutely. Yeah. First you have it between the actors, then it goes into the audience. Yeah, and if you have actors being authentic, mm -hmm. sharing that energy, that's magic. Because if you're not in this world to heal this world then maybe your project isn't worth it. <laughs> yeah. And I know, I mean, there are so many people who really want to. Maybe they don't have access or don't feel they have access. So is it easier to take an inexperienced actor who desperately wants to be part of that kind of energy and bring them into a role, or to take a presentational actor and break that wall down? Uh, sometimes with a presentational actor, you can't get past the wall because that's what they're presenting to the world. They're not emotionally available. Actors have to be vulnerable. And if you can't be vulnerable, the audience can't be there with you. If you've just got a shield in front of you, like you're just a warrior and you've got your shield, that might work in some comedies. But if you're doing uh, something with a little bit of humanness, then you've got to be open. I think you're right about that. I think that you have an opportunity if you're willing but you got to have a director who will push you to well, get there. Well, it's not just pushing. The, the director is responsible for the space that the work happens in. If you make the space safe, then actors can be vulnerable with each other so that by the time you hit performance, they're solid in the vulnerability, and then they can take it to the world. Well, now that's another thing I stole from you. <laughs> Creating a safe space. Oh yeah, you have to. How can you ask someone to take away all of their protections if they don't feel safe in that little rehearsal space you're in? Because it also, I do set up directing like a counseling session where I say what happens in rehearsal stays in rehearsal. Yeah. This is not to become gossip that someone shares something with you. This is not a space for ridicule and snarky gossip or sarcasm. This is a space where we can create and be real. And when you open yourself up with love, is there a line in this play that reflects you, that you either have some big reaction to, or there's fear there? Mm -hmm. How does that relate to you? And 
I usually explore those issues because that's where the healing happens. Mm. Now, sure, I've directed a lot of plays. Most people have no idea what I was doing, but I did. Well, that's key, right? They don't necessarily need to know. Nobody needs to know. Yeah. If you make it safe, you keep it safe. I don't know why I'm doing this podcast. You're revealing all of your secrets. But that is my background. My background and something I've always, all my life, have been fascinated with is how people heal. And how can I be a part of that? And that's what came out in my theater work. Hopefully more connected people with their emotional selves and not being afraid to be vulnerable and more awareness of this connection between each other. Because when I direct, I could see the emotion. I could see when someone shut down. I could see when someone opened up, when the channel went complete, because I could feel it in my body. Mm-hmm. When you're watching someone that, well, this is just emotional theory right now. Every cell in your body has a, an emotional trigger. It either accepts that emotion or it rejects it. Now, bad acting is when these cells are rejecting that emotion coming from the thought, which is the brain saying, I want to feel sad. And the cells go, well, I don't feel sad. I'm not going to. You know, good actors are, the thoughts can either come from the brain and the body accepts it and it washes through the body. You see it as energy. Or there's also an emotional lining in the stomach that also can produce those emotions. Emotions can actually be presented or directed by various organs in your body. We all hear the phrase heartbreak, heart attack. Well, guess where grief is stored? Stored in your heart. What about butterflies in your stomach? Uh, That's anxiety and fear. That's where those, those emotions are stored. So really acting gives you a very safe place to release this emotion. There are really no negative and positive emotion. It is how we color our world. This is how we feel our world. This is what gives it definition and color. The problem is, is when things get stored in your body because they're not released, then it starts causing problems in relationships in how you view yourself. And so as someone that knows emotion, can see emotion, that is very empathic, yeah, it's easy to see those channels open and close for me. Yeah. For me. And that's how I direct. That makes all the sense in the world. Well, also, when you're building a character, you have to decide where the character holds stress. If you hold stress up in the upper neck or shoulders or, you know, wherever you decide to hold stress... You have to build that into the character so you know when you're hiding, when you're shutting off, when you're moving away from that As person. an actor, you mean? You need yeah. to know where your character stores yeah. stress. Well, it also is helpful if you know. Well, that's true. Because <laughs> you can you, make it the same place. And that's yeah, because then you can move the stress points around yeah. as you create the character. Since I think great acting comes from the body, not specific thoughts. Like, I'm sad. I'm sad. Yeah. No. <laughs> we don't it's, believe you. It's, you know, it might be... Because of a thought, it could be generated because of an experience. It can be generated by seeing something in a flash. Mm -hmm. Whatever it is that connects you to that play. I had a conversation with a playwright a couple days ago where we talked about how much information to give the character in the script. And I think... Some playwrights will give too much information. They'll actually have the character say, I'm so sad about this. And that takes all that opportunity away from the director and the actor, the performer, 
to express what's already in the text. I don't know that the text needs to give so many indications. It depends. If, this, if it's situational. All of that depends on the character. and I mean, some great playwrights give you every exact thing, and some give you that line, and it can be said a thousand ways. Mm. It kind of depends on how much of a control freak the playwright is. <laughs> but remember, if it's in italics, your director will ignore it. <laughs> this is for all the playwrights out there. That's the right. director will always ignore the italics. <laughs> that's right. Oh, that's a suggestion. That's nice. I have to go find something else. That is so true. <laughs> I like. I won't even look at the back I for the don't. set design. I'll be like, "Well, what do I think it should look like?" Yeah, I, I look at the plan. Goes, does it have running water? Thinks, well, I don't want to do it. Okay. I just don't want to do it. <laughs> Nothing practical. And no doors. I don't want no any doors, doors in my set, especially freestanding doors. They're the worst. <sighs> okay, so you are actually doing something else very creative. You're dancing. Oh yeah, I dance. But okay. you say that you don't create the dances because. Well, I usually follow. I'm a social dancer, so... Okay, say more about that that doesn't make it sound like prostitution. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that's partner dancing. So, East Coast Swing, West Coast Swing, those are the two... Those are my favorites at the moment. I do a little bit of salsa and ballroom. How did you get involved in this? Well, my grandmother danced. And she was dancing till she died at 86. She was still dancing. And she didn't start dancing until after she was a widow. And so I became a widow in about after a year of crying and not knowing what to do with my life. Certainly after my husband died, theater was sort of a somewhat sad place to be. Because I'd already always shared that space with my husband. Mm -hmm. Or for 15 years, I shared that space with Tony. And he was my backup call to every Every, every loadout, every, <laughs> everything that went wrong in the theater, he could somehow fix it or fix me so I could get back out there and do it again. But when he passed away, as with many widows, you need to create new memories so you're not just surrounded by the loss. So my sister said, hey, you always wanted to dance. Here, here's a friend. He'll be at the caravan. Go stand by him. I'll tell him you're calling. So I went and... The people were nice, and I got into it. Yeah, and, and you've been doing that for a while now. Yeah. I must say that I've always been body kinetic mm-hmm. in my directing. So that's my learning styles, body kinetic. What I didn't understand about dancing is so for the first year, I dated a gentleman that was a dance teacher, and he was like, you need to follow. Why aren't you following? And I was like, what is this following? I do not understand this follow. I'd learn the steps. And I was like, what the heck are they talking about? And then one day I went, oh, it's just the mirror game from acting. And I was like a light bulb went off and I could follow anybody. As my sister Susie Tattershall says, women, if you want to meet men, learn about Star Trek and Star Wars. Men, if you want to meet women, learn how to dance. Your sister's pretty smart. She's damn smart. Yeah. She also <laughs> speaks about 10 languages. I think Klingon might be one of them. Oh, yes. <laughs> so you have written several shows, and you've actually written some very healing work for children. Seeing a deadline always helps. <laughs> so when someone says, have this right. done by. So I was sitting around after my retirement, and Harry says, why don't you write a play? So I took some of the problems I've had throughout my lifetime and put it 
in a play called Twirly and the Ugly Duckling. And it's really about a little girl who tries so hard to fit in, and she doesn't. For those of you who've never met me, I'm four, ten and a half. <laughs> <laughs> that half an inch. <laughs> that is half an inch. vitally important. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and I was bullied quite a lot in my younger days. And then as an adult, I also experienced that from time to time. And I was like, there's got to be some other ways of dealing with that. So the whole process of the ugly duckling is a universal theme. So maybe as a child, you're not accepted or there's hurdles. And the ugly duckling is really a process of learning that you are perfect in your imperfection. I, I performed at one school and this little girl came up and her mother said, is it all right if she hugs you? And I said, yes. And she was crying. And I said, have you, have you been bullied? And she said, yes, I have. No one likes me. I said, well, I like you. Just the way you are. You're like Mr. Rogers. <laughs> I am. <laughs> that was a beautiful healing experience as I wrote it. To come out on the other side with the playwriting being that healing element that I could take to other people. Especially little girls. Yeah. And your new show? Uh, the new show is just for fun. So I created a play around four fables. And I have the amazing Tim Hunter and Jenny Jackson Clyde, who also did Desert Cities with me, right. to tour with me. So it's a lot of fun. What theater can teach us is empathy skills. And what it teaches actors is point of view. And one of the reasons theater should be in all schools is so that children learn tolerance. I personally think that the arts are very integrated in one aspect, flow. When you hit the flow, whether it be directing, and you know that you just open yourself up and you say exactly what the actor needs, you just open yourself up to the flow mm -hmm. so that could happen. When you open yourself up to the flow as acting, you're in the now. You're totally in the now. With dance, you open yourself up to that partner and the music, and you allow flow to happen. You are just part of the now. When you're in the now, which is, I think, what all creative arts strive for, whether you're painting, whether you're on the dance floor, or you're acting, or you're directing, when you hit flow, it is the most important creative endeavor because it's outside of your ego. You are the channel it comes through, and that flow connects all of us. How do you get there? How do you get to flow? You learn your steps. <laughs> Learn your lines. You learn the process of directing. You keep practicing writing. And one day, you relax. After all that practice, mm -hmm. and the flow shows up. What advice would you give to a young director? Don't feel like you have to know it all. And don't pretend to. Oh, that's just a gift. I thank you so much. Sure. It's now time for concise advice from the interview. Ooh. A short version of tips from my guest, theater guru, Julie Tattershall. Get up, get up. Here are seven great bits of advice. Number seven, don't be afraid to be vulnerable on stage. Number six, decide where the character holds stress in their body and build that into the character. Number five, take advantage of seeing things from another point of view. Number four, 
Open yourself up to the flow to be in the now. Number three, approach any play script as if you are approaching a brand new play. Number two, create a safe environment for rehearsal. And Julie Tattershall's number one piece of advice, don't feel like you have to know it all and don't pretend to. That's it for concise advice from the interview. Next week, you'll hear my conversation with former Broadway stage manager, Liza Vest. Check out the blog, sallypal.com, for articles and podcast episodes. Sign up for a free creator's notebook insert at sallypal.com join. Thank you for sharing, subscribing, reviewing, joining, and thank you for listening. I want you to pursue your dream to have original work on the stage in front of a live audience. It's scary, but I'm here with resources, encouragement, and a growing community of people like us. If you like Sally Pal, a new show goes out every Monday evening. Thanks again. I'm Sally, and this is Sally Pal. The P-A-L in Pal stands for Performing Arts Lab. Now, I have one bit of wisdom from George, my husband, the coolest guy on the planet. George, what's your wisdom for today? You win some and you lose some, but you have to suit up every day. Well said, George. Well said. Excellent advice indeed. If you're downloading and listening on your drive to work, or falling asleep to my alien transmissions like my sister does, let me know you're out there. I want to help you create original shows for a live audience. All the performances you've seen on stage once lived only in someone's imagination. Now, it's your turn. Magical person. <laughs> You've been waiting. <laughs> George. Why, you just came out of nowhere. I'm making some changes. No, you can. You can get it. You can still get it. I don't know why I said can't. Do I sound like I'm from the boonies? It's the glossary you need for your show. Hold on, I gotta fix that.